You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? No, 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 no. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Comes to an end as Philip Gustafson picks up his first career NHL shutout. Seriously? Seriously? Yeah. I think like the main emotion I have right now is just disappointed in him. I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. Good morning, Vancouver, six o'clock on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Sportsnet 650 studios, also known as the Kintech Studios, in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Uh, I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason, tell the fine folks more about Kintech. Do you usually do this this so early? I, I have to find my reads that, 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 to tell people about Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I you feel like you don't have your reads ready to go. No, I do. It's uh, Halford and Breath of the Morning. is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Yeah, Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari. Why are you Acura going out of order today? so early? I did. Yeah. I, threw, I threw everyone off kilter this morning. That's on me. It's on me, guys. It's my bad. We have a routine here. We did. We come in, we do our reads, and we talk about all our bad sports teams. And we we flipped it on its head. We fear change. Um, It was not a great sports weekend. Uh, My co-host, Jason Bruff, that was, I don't want to say the worst of your life. I haven't known (laughs) you all that long. But it was was probably up there. Everything went wrong. Here's here's the nice thing. The Canucks didn't lose in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. That is true. Uh, But from England's painful loss in the World Cup to the Canucks. Was that a no-show? I mean, I guess they got a bunch of shots, but I'd call it a pretty miserable performance on Saturday night to the Mm -hmm. Seahawks choking and giving up 600,000 more rushing yards to the Carolina Panthers. It was pretty much one sucky thing after another for me uh, over the weekend. Is that is that a word that we can use at six oh two in the morning? Sucky, sucky. It was, it was a it was a sucky. sucky weekend in terms of sports, but we'll, well try. In and case ma- you're not sure, you should keep using it. I think yeah. uh, we uh, I think we'll uh, you know we'll make the best of it. We'll make a few cheap jokes about all the losses, and uh, you know keep this life going. So this is the life we got. The uh, the first hour of the program is going to be exclusively what happened as we run through everything that went on in the world of sports over the weekend. It was an insanely busy uh, weekend in the world of sports, including Friday, right after we got off the air with all the World Cup stuff. So the first hour, 6 and 6.30, we'll get to that. 7 o'clock, that's when the guests start rolling in. Mike Tanier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, is going to join us uh, at 7 o'clock. Mike, of course, is our Monday morning quarterback, brought to you by the Clayton Public House. Tons of stories to get to with Mike from the NFL on Sunday. We can touch on the aforementioned Seahawks loss to the lowly, although I guess they could still win the division now, Carolina Panthers. Uh, lots of QB injuries across the league. Another real, real tough turn in the Russell Wilson story in Denver. So we'll get into all that with Mike at 7, 7.30. We're going to go uh, talk to our good buddy Peter Galindo from Sportsnet. Uh, he was embedded in Qatar for all the way up to the round of 16 through the World Cup. He's back in Canada now. But we're going to talk to him about all the results from the quarterfinals. I'll say this. I know the England loss 
was disappointing. Mm-hmm. But overall, the games were incredible. I struggle to think yeah. of a better quarterfinal round mm-hmm. in any World Cup. Now, I know I wasn't alive for a lot of them, but still, that was remarkable how how drama-filled and intense. And- yeah, I thought Canada had a great quarterfinals with Morocco and Croatia advancing to the semifinals. It's crazy, right? Like, are that. we are we going to rewrite it now? It's like you know what, Canada wasn't that bad. I don't want to, but I know it's going to happen. No, it shouldn't. Uh, it so Peter Galindo is going to join us at seven thirty to talk about all that sports and uh, soccer writer. Uh, Eight o'clock, IMAX going to join us. Ian McIntyre. Uh, he actually got into the the clip with Bruce Boudreau, laddie, that you played in the intro. Where really. That was him, where he was asking Seriously? Bruce if the series of mistakes in the loss to Minnesota on the weekend had to do with individual play or team structure, to which Bruce then replied, Seriously? 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 So we'll talk to IMAC at 8 o'clock about uh, that line of questioning, where he was trying to go with that, what he thought about his back and forth with Bruce Boudreaux. <laughs> Make sure was you it, say was, seriously to, to IMAC when you're uh, a bunch of times. Was that when Bruce said, I don't think it's part of the system to make tape to tape passes to get a team? <laughs> yeah, team? That's the one. Is that part of your power play? You guys uh, practice plan? that at drills? Because like one of your. You know what? Because, like, I. I don't know. Is that the right move? You're really good at them, so it makes me think you practice them a lot. <laughs> uh, Monday Night Football tonight. Cards and Pats. Six NHL games. Montreal and Calgary are playing. Uh, New Jersey and the New York Rangers. Edmonton and Minnesota. So Minnesota back after beating the Canucks on Saturday night. Seven NBA games as well, so it's a pretty decent sports night. But we'll put all that uh, ahead of the, later. We'll do that later. Right now, we need to tell you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Right, so as Jason mentioned, it was a bad sports weekend. A lot of losses. It was also very colorful and eclectic because it ran the gamut. You mm-hmm. had uh, your favorite hockey squadron. Mm-hmm. You had your favorite international footballing squadron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't and stop then, making that sound, okay? And then, of course, you had... No, your, lean into it. <laughs> you had your favorite National Football League squadron. <laughs> all. All. With, we're going to start with the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, let's start with the Canucks. The Canucks had a uh, chance to make a statement against a legitimate team. Saturday at home, a team that they're in a playoff race for, a uh, playoff race with. Uh, any guesses what happened, guys? They had a... It was a so it was a good team. Came to Rogers Arena. It wasn't a bad team. It wasn't a bad team. This is important. This is a legitimately good team. A rested team, too. That came to, uh, yeah, they weren't rested. That came to Rogers Arena. Does any any guesses what happened? Uh, they outclassed the Vancouver Canucks. Yep. And what? they beat the Canucks 3-0 on Rogers Arena ice. Uh, the latest bad effort for the Canucks at home. They're, they have a losing record at Rogers Arena, and I just kind of wanted to ask you guys, and I want to ask the listeners, what's your favorite post-game comment from the Canucks? Hmm. Is it, uh, like we're talking about after after a typical Canucks game. Yep. And i got to be careful not to be too sarcastic here because I'm still in a bad mood about England and the Seahawks, so okay. I just got to gotta monitor my mood here. Okay. Because I'm going um, to veer, I'm going to veer into sarcasm. But what, what is what is your favorite comment? I I think mine is, I think mine is Bruce Boudreaux acting completely surprised at the Canucks not showing up or not having the energy, and you know, like, well, 
I don't know what's going on with this team. I don't know why sometimes they do this and sometimes they do that. Or actually, you know what? My favorite postgame comment might be JT Miller with the faux accountability. You know, like when that. he's just like, I do like that. I got to be better, not for me personally, but for the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, I actually, you know what? It's a kind of a toss up between that because like nothing that Horvat ever says is interesting. Right. So it's probably between Boudreaux and JT Miller. I'm a big fan of I, the two words that I use the most are flummoxed and befuddled. When it comes to Bruce Boudreaux talking about his hockey squadron, he doesn't know why they don't start on time, or he doesn't know why uh, he doesn't know why they came out with that effort in the third period, or the second period, or the first period. Depend depending which period the Canucks don't play well in, because they never have three good periods. They always have like you know, it was the first period against Minnesota, especially on Saturday night. He doesn't know doesn't know why. I mean, you would think that this team. Uh, had lots of rest and they're, you know, feeling good about a few wins, probably. And they had this big test against the Minnesota Wild. I don't know why they didn't come out with a with a good first period. You know, but I guess Bruce doesn't have his uh, doesn't doesn't have the uh the temperature of his team because he's always constantly surprised by this team. But he talked about it. That's the important thing, is they talked about Seriously? it before the game. And they talked about it oh, they during talked the intermission. About it? Oh. And they went over it on video and they practiced it. And they and they still I don't know. I, I it almost <laughs> almost defies logic. Now, here's the thing: is every time we do this exercise, and we go through what the coach said and relate it to what happened on the ice, and we go through the opportunity to have a statement kind of game and fall ultimately flat, you look back on the team, and that was their opportunity to win their fourth in a row. Like it, under under different circumstances. You would say, well, you're not going to hammer the team for a loss, but it's not just the losing. I think you're making that abundantly clear right now. It's the Groundhog Day effect of it's the same old thing over and over and over again, especially in these losses. And make no mistake, the important thing here, losses at home. Because they have put up so many lackluster efforts in front of their paying customers this year. Yeah, they salvaged the last one against Montreal. For sure. Where they fell down 4 nothing in the first period and they came back and won that. I mean, that was terrific entertainment at Rogers Arena. But consider their last three wins. It was Arizona, bad team, and they needed overtime. Montreal, bad team, and they needed overtime. Well, the Habs have been okay there this season. San Jose, bad team, and they needed overtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they get this test against Minnesota. Same sort of test as they got against Washington and Florida a couple weeks ago. And they failed those badly. And they failed this one. So they're 12, 13, and 3. And the conclusion is the team is um, too talented to be one of the worst teams in the NHL. Correct. Too talented. Like individually talented. You've got Pedersen, you've got Miller, and you've got Horvat, and you've got a few other guys. And when, when they play bad teams, they can outscore their mistakes. And that's why they probably won't finish last in the NHL and have the best shots to draft Connor Bedard. But they're also probably not good enough to make the playoffs because they don't play as a team. Mm-hmm. They play as individuals, and they make too many mistakes in key moments, in close games. This Minnesota game, let's 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 go back and 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 just remember how this game played out. Okay. They had a bad first period, but they're only down one nothing. And then they had a power play in the second period with a few minutes left in the second period. They're up one nothing. They played a better period, a much better. 
Much better period. And you're thinking, all right, you got the power play here. Mm-hmm. Let's tie it up and go to the third. JT Miller instead turns it over. The Wild go back shorthanded and score. That was an absolute killer. The Canucks were only down one nothing, and they were on the power play. That's what Drance calls a high leverage situation. Is that what it means? That's what it means. Oh. It means like a really important part of the game, huh. which is probably easier to say, a really important part of the game. I learned something. The Wild, in theory... Might have been running out of steam after playing the night before. We often see teams that played the night before actually have a good first period because they're still in the groove, right? They're sure. just like, I didn't have time to forget how to play hockey. The Canucks could have kept it a one-goal game until the third period, even if they didn't score on that power play. Mm-hmm. Things could have very easily turned out differently. You could have seen the Canucks find their legs a little bit more. They'd found them in the second period, and maybe the Wild start to wilt instead. But when the Wild made it 2 nothing, the wind was out of the Canucks' sail, and the Wild knew, huh? we've got the structure, we've got the details in order to win this game, and they did. Bruce didn't even pull the goalie down three goals in the third with an offensive zone faceoff with about three or four minutes left. I noticed that. That's a hell of a statement that you don't believe in your team on that specific night, that you don't even bother to throw the Hail Mary. And that's what it is. It's a Hail Mary, so we don't sit there and go, you know, that's what decided the game. They're probably not going to score three goals with the goalie pulled. But a few teams have tried it this year and succeeded. Carolina did it. Yep. The Canucks have, on occasion, pulled the goalie three goals down. And Bruce said after the game, he said, I probably should have pulled the goalie, but I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it. You Nobody did, was he, feeling he it. He said he didn't think they'd score. He didn't think yeah. they'd like, score. Literally, that's what the audio. I mean, they, <laughs> like he didn't. He didn't even want it. Like he didn't even care about breaking the shutout. Who was in goal for the Wild? It wasn't Flurry. Philip Gustafson. Philip Gustafson. First shut, career you know, shutout. First, first career shutout for the guy. You, you're not. You're okay, great. <laughs> it's been it, a long road. For I wasn't. Him. <laughs> I don't care about him. Long road. I want Ottawa. I w- I would have wanted. You know what I would have wanted. The people that showed up on a Saturday night paid a lot of money to go see the Canucks play the Minnesota Wild around the holidays. That might have been a Christmas present for someone. It's true. I would have liked. The, I would have liked for those paying customers to see one bloody goal. Speaking of the paying customers uh, and not pulling the goalie, the head coach Bruce Boudreau addressed both in a, uh, a little bit of a rambling clip, but he managed to touch on all the bases because uh, it, at the very end, and Batch's call actually captured it pretty well uh there was another cacophony of boos from the paying customers at rogers arena uh boudreau was asked about that and then not pulling the goalie down three nothing it's about a 35 second clip we'll let bruce take it away go laddie well i I thought uh um you know in most of the occasions this year i mean they want to win you know we want to win i mean uh, uh uh you know so I mean, it's it's they have every right to do whatever they want to do. Um, we're still going to go out and and hopefully try right till the end, win win or lose. I mean, tonight was a night I, I would should have maybe pulled the goalie, but I just didn't think we were going to score, and uh, I thought they were batting down the hatches pretty good, and uh, you know it was going to be a tough night. Okay, now on the subject of the head coach, I mentioned that there was a little bit of a back and forth where uh, Ian McIntyre asked him a question about to the turnover. By the way, that's the fifth shorthanded goal that the Canucks have given up this year, so we're almost in the lead there. Tampa, Bay's, Tampa Bay, of all teams, has given up an NHL high six. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the, it was the, the play, really. I mean, the decent second period, but the turnover, the shorthanded goal, et cetera. So IMAC essentially asked, uh, is this a – a product of systems play or is this an individual play 
And I think Bruce was taken aback by the fact that he was clearly taken aback. So you're going to try and pump up the audio on the question. And then there's the answer as well. So another wrinkle to all of this is another costly turnover from JT Miller. This time, not ultimately costing his team, but costing his team in a big way in a 3-0 loss against the Minnesota Wild. Is it just come down to individual plays and decisions? Is there anything system-wise that... Seriously? Seriously? Yeah. It's individual plays. Guys make make plays, you know, like tonight. I would think that's not a system play when you make a pass right on the other guy's tape for a breakaway. That's how they've scored uh, empty net or shorthanded, I think, two of them. And, uh, um, and a lot of times when you're pressing, you know, bad things happen. I mean, it's uh, uh, on the shorthanded goals, it's usually uh, a breakaway that it ends up give, giving or two-on-one. And, and when you're pressing for goals, and we've been pressing for goals a lot this year, and that, that stuff happens. So JT Miller was also asked about it, and he said um, it was a mistake. They scored on it. It was obviously not good. And then he added, and Ian McIntyre had this in his piece, so we'll talk to Ian about this. Miller added, I expect myself to be better, not because of the mistake stuff happens out there, but just in a general sense, I need to be better for the team and lead by example. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when JT Miller signed his contract extension and he had some comments about, you know, he had a really, it was, it was, I don't know if you're going to grade these things. It was a good, it was a good media avail for JT Miller. Yep. He was very humble. He talked about how he, he didn't come from much. He's not one of these. You know, he wasn't one of those rich kids that plays hockey, and you know, he didn't. He came from fairly humble origins, um, had to work hard, and he was talking about how the guys he admires out on the ice are, you know, the the two way centers, and he didn't name drop anyone, but you know, you can come up with them: Patrice Bergeron, Jonathan Taves, those types of players. Those are the guys he admired, and he talked about how he needs to be better in his own end, and he just needs needs to become more of a complete player. And he even got specific with a few of his uh, examples. He said, sometimes in my own end, I get caught puck watching. Mm -hmm. And Mike and I were glowing about these comments. And and, and we we threw him roses. And just like, showed maturity. Great, great, great comments from a guy. And, you know, maybe he's really, maybe he really is turning into a leader. Those comments in hindsight now ring ring quite hollow. I I have to admit, I think about them more and more now. And I'm like, Hey, even if you still like want that, you're not showing any progress towards that because the best players out there, the best two-way players take care of the puck and you don't. Mm-hmm. And right now it's becoming a real problem. And so even when you come in after a game and you say, I expect myself to be better in a general sense, I need to be better for the team and, and lead by example. Mm-hmm. You are not leading by example right now. Yeah. I, the big question that I have in all of this uh, is what do you do now? If you're the head coach, what do you do now? If you're Miller, what do you do now? Because it's it's not quite at a breaking point, but it is getting to the point where the questions are going to become more pointed of Bruce, especially when it comes to accountability. And are you holding all of your players to the same standard? Hmm. Would you not agree? I think I, I, I guess here's the thing. I, I know there's a, there's a lot of people out there that are going to compare this situation to Nils Hoglander, who was dreadful against the Wild, who had a bad turnover, I think, early on in the game that the Wild nearly scored on and then was kind of lazy. He just wasn't – as a winger, one of your most important jobs is 
to collect a breakout pass from your defenseman and then make the right play. And it is a really tough situation, especially when you've got pinching defense. When we would talk about this with Vertanen a lot, yeah. it's tough, right? Like yeah. it is, even the best players will make a mistake, but Hoaglander just made too many mistakes out there and mm-hmm. Bruce stapled him to the bench. Yep. Here's the difference. JT Miller is still producing, right? He's almost a point a game player. Nils Hoaglander has seven points in 23 games. So That's he, fine. So he's not providing really any offense. So I, but, but I, I definitely agree with your, your assessment. I don't think, I just don't want to make it an apples and oranges, oranges kind of assessment, but I do think that Bruce needs to be harder on JT Miller. You know, he didn't play him in overtime the other day, and people thought, whoa, what a statement. Not really. When the Canucks have the type of offensive players that they can turn to, it's not like JT Miller is the only guy on the team that can go and score an OT goal, as Elias Pettersson proved. Like, Mm -hmm. they actually have quite a few players that could be good, in theory, out there in overtime. I think people want want to see JT Miller – Staple to the bench for an entire period when he does one of those plays. Like, like make a real statement, not, you're not going to play overtime. Like, oh, you only have three guys out there on the ice in overtime. Benching a guy for overtime isn't really that huge a statement. Well, I, it's not, again, I don't want to say, like, Boudreaux should be doing this or that or, you know, trying to play armchair coach, although it's kind of what we're doing. But it's just more like, what do you do? Because he's he's going to be at a tipping point eventually where – I would imagine, here, put it this way, if you or I were on the team or in the room or what have you, one of the questions you could legitimately ask is, how come other guys have been held to a certain level of account Mm -hmm. and some guys haven't? And if the answer is, well, he puts up points, you're going to run into a very dangerous situation where the rest of the guys are like, okay, so if I chase production and don't do the things about about, uh, managing the puck and being responsible, I'll get to stay in the lineup. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't That's forget. That's a great point. Go, just go back through the, the the very short lineage in the span of thirty games played. Who's been held to account for their play on the ice? Hoaglander, Garland, Besser. Right? I mean, how close was Brock Besser to being healthy scratch? And he's produced. And Kyle Burrows every yep. night. <laughs> uh, Pod Colson <laughs> sent to the American League. Go Rath, down. Rathbone wasn't even really given a chance. I mean, he didn't. He right? was, I suppose, but he didn't play well. But yeah, you, you, you're right. And this was the issue with with signing JT Miller to that long term contract. Yeah, Kuzmenko. We've, we've gone through the list. But I just wanted to just no, to, put I a, to put an exclamation point on it. Is that you could even argue that some of the guys that have been held to account this season are producing points, mm-hmm. goals, assists, all that stuff. So at which point you're saying, well, what exactly is it? My my take would be that there's certain guys that you can mess with and there's certain guys that you can't mess with. Well, that's why I've said over and over, first of all, it was a mistake to give them the contract extension. And second of all, if they can... Because um, that's the biggest if, thing if for they me. Can, if, they, if they can change that mistake and trade JT Miller, I would do it. Like this, they, they, I, I don't know. I uh, Listen, I... I don't want to <laughs> what? take my frustration out on my sporting frustrations out on the Canucks, but over the weekend they were the third story for me, right? Like England losing, which we'll talk about, the Seahawks losing. Like those were big games. Obviously the England game was big. The Seahawks game mm-hmm. was big. That game on Saturday night, you know, they can say it was a big game. It wasn't though because I, I know what this Canucks team is. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're not good enough, right? So – I don't know how many times we have to come in here on the show and go like, 
Well, you know what? They had a test against a good team and they failed it. Maybe they'll maybe they'll turn it around. <laughs> you know, maybe well, I don't no, know. I, like this course, maybe they'll turn it around. Turn it around. Turn it around. Like you I, never know. I don't know. Like how many times? How many? We know. We know how their post games go. We know what comments we're gonna hear. Change the mix. The mix doesn't work. Well, that's the that, mix is bad. That's gonna change be the mix. That's gonna give take me, some chances. What like what have you got to lose in making trades? What do you got to lose at this point? And I know it's tough to make trades, but I really would like to hear. Um, I would like to hear management come out and say, listen, guys, like we can't do it right now, but we're going to make changes to this group. This group isn't good enough. Right. And it, right. But again, I go back to it. And with what I'm talking about with accountability and Miller, like it's to me, it's crystal clear. It's just crystal. I mean, he is the highest paid player on the team when that extension kicks in eight million a year. Right. No one's making that much money. No one's signed as long as he is. He's the only one signed through 2029. So all of it is right there. Like, I know that Pedersen is the engine of the team, and I know Pedersen and Hughes are the future and the core, but right now, Miller wields a pretty big stick yeah. in that organization and in that room. Like, it's just, it's so cut and dry. That- and the right choice is to make that not not be the case anymore. Right, and I, and, I, and I don't know how you go about it now, because, you've, you know, it's like, dig up, stupid. They've dug themselves into this hole now, because... Um, he is the alpha, he's the dog in the room for a variety of different reasons, mm-hmm. right? And now it's like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to publicly bench the guy in the middle of a game? Are you going to healthy scratch him? I think those are out the window. I don't think I don't think Bruce has it in him, to be honest. And then you start going, I mean, you look at the Dunbar-Lumber text line right now of all the people that are texting in about what it looks like how it looks, how it's playing out. It's one high danger scoring chance a game, roughly, I would say, that Miller bleeds to the other team with some sort of ill-advised pass or really crazy read. I think part of it is because um, he is trying to do quite literally everything. Like He's trying to turn the game on its head. Mm-hmm. He's and trying I, to make plays. And unfortunately, when you do that, you can also turn the game on its head for the other team. Like yeah. the 2 nothing goal shorthanded against the Wild on the weekend and you add it all up and it's it's a fascinating dynamic if you're not emotionally invested in the team but when you are it's very dreary and depressing because you know that their wagon is so thoroughly hitched to Miller Mm -hmm. unless they can trade him if they have an opportunity and they don't take advantage of that opportunity I'll be very very disappointed I already am very very disappointed yeah Okay. Uh, let's let's uh, let's take a quick break here. We'll go. Uh, we'll talk about the World Cup on the other side. We'll talk about uh, some NFL, and we'll also uh, go into the Dunbar Lumber text line at six fifty six fifty for your comments on anything that happened over the weekend. The Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Abuse in Vancouver online at dunbarlumber.com. I will try not to let my England mood, my Seahawks mood, my Canucks mood affect my analysis. The Seahawks, you, guys, you guys need to hold me accountable well, right no, now. Because I'm, I'm just as because, angry about the, the Seahawks one was like... I'm on tilt right now yeah. as a sports fan. I really am. Here's what I'll say to somebody. <laughs> at least, at least England played well. At least. I know it's a hollow victory, but at least. The Seahawks to me was one of the most embarrassing things that I've seen in a long time from a football team, honestly. Yep. Anyway, we'll get into all that coming up next on the most positive morning radio show in Vancouver. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. It was pretty much one sucky thing after another for me uh, over the weekend. Is that is that a word that we can use at 6.02 in the morning? Sucky? Sucky. It was, it was, a, it was a sucky, sucky weekend.
That team sure did suck last night. They just plain sucked. I've seen teams suck before, but they were the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. I say you're the, you're the best. Halford and Bruff. Six thirty-three on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. Three dealerships to serve you better: North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Barard Acura on Terminal Avenue. How about we do a little soccer report? Huh? huh? Okay. Uh, the soccer report is brought to you by Certain Teed. The pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certainteed pro all the way. We've got a couple days off from the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. The semifinals are set. It will be France and Morocco against Croatia and Argentina. After a terrific, just terrific quarterfinal round. I mean, if you think about the way that all these games were decided, uh, a one-goal margin in all of them, numerous penalty shootouts, Mm -hmm. drama left and right, Morocco, the upset of the entire quarterfinal round, the first African country to ever punch its ticket to a World Cup semifinal. The Argentina and Netherlands match featured, featured a record 18, 18 yellow cards, 15 of them given to players in an epic shootout. And then... The cherry on the top, although not a good cherry and not a good Sunday, quite frankly. But uh, it was the last game of the round, the quarterfinal, England and France, France, vive la France, uh, 2-1 victors after, again, unscripted drama. You couldn't really write what happened in that match. Mm -hmm. But in the end, a familiar foe, penalties for England. Harry Kane misses late in the second half. France wins 2-1 and England's World Cup is done. You know, it's funny. No, wait. Not funny. It's not the right word. Extremely sad. That, those were the words I was looking for. Not funny. Extremely sad that I didn't even go into this match with France with super high expectations. I knew that they were the defending World Cup champs. I, I knew the quality that they had. I knew what the bookmakers were saying, and the bookmakers were saying that France was the favorite. And yet the sports gods, the sad club sports gods, mm-hmm. so cruel. Still gave me that huge handful of hope as the match played out. They gave you just a taste. No, it was more than a taste. (laughs) Only to smack it out of my hands in typical England fashion. And really, if you look, who knows? Maybe England still would have lost if Harry Kane had made his second PK. Yep. But I do think that they had a decent advantage given they had the deeper vent, uh, the deeper bench. They were the um, better team on the day. Didier well, Deschamps, yeah. the manager for France, even yeah. went as far as to say they were superb. We were a bit lucky to beat them on the day. Mm-hmm. So put that out there. I thought it was a great performance. but So, and on top of that, um, they had Morocco waiting for them for the match to get into a World Cup final. And... Um, I could be wrong about this, but I think France is going to take care of Morocco pretty easily just because Morocco left it all out on the field against Portugal. And there's not many days to recover here. No. 
And I think Morocco is going to be really happy to be where they are, the first African side to be uh, in the World Cup semifinals. Um, now, they might get a lift from the crowd because there's going to be so many Moroccans there. I mean, they vastly outnumbered mm-hmm. the Portugal supporters, and it was a terrific atmosphere, and I wouldn't be surprised if the crowd actually helped them get that match over the line. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all know that they don't have the depth of teams like France, even though France is missing quite a few players, just like Benzema. They're, they're missing a lot of players, right? But uh, I do think that the path was there for for England to get to the get to the World Cup final, which is something that I I haven't seen in my lifetime. And Harry Kane now joins a long list of England players to miss PKs in key moments. His wasn't in penalties, mm-hmm. but it might as well have been. Almost and you made go it back worse, to be honest. I mean, you can <laughs> you, you you can run the list of names down, and and I know a lot of you, most of you listening right now, aren't. England supporters, so this is a little bit selfish of Halford and I talk about this, but it is it is incredible the long list of names that Harry Kane joins. And I actually wonder if it kind of makes it somewhat easier. He's like, well, I'm a true English footballing legend now. I've missed a huge penalty like yep. Stuart Pierce and Chris Waddle in nineteen ninety, Gareth Southgate in nineteen ninety six, David Beckham in two thousand and four, Rashford, Sancho, and Saka. A year ago at yeah. Wembley in the Euro final against Italy, and now now you add you, you add Kane to the list, and man, we've seen some in this World Cup. We've seen some dramatic PK misses, and mm-hmm. you almost, I mean, I, I think it goes to show the the. <laughs> this sounds really really cheesy, but the power of human empathy watching sports because we all put ourselves in the position of these players mm-hmm. that miss. Yep. And you know the the face of the player that misses and you're like you know that he's thinking his life just changed. Yeah. And I found uh I found a quote from uh Stuart Pierce who, who missed a big penalty in in 1990 mm-hmm. when the World Cup was in Europe and England lost to West Germany. He said, "My world collapsed." The walk back to the center circle was a nightmare as the first onrush of tears pricked at my eyes. Now, Harry Kane couldn't collapse on the field uh, because he had to keep playing. But we've seen players miss these PKs. Mm -hmm. And my first thought is, I wonder wonder how much this changes their lives. Not just not just the, the you know, not just the you know, their their sporting lives, mm-hmm. but their lives. So Harry about- Kane is now most famous, not for being a terrific soccer player mm-hmm. for England. He's now most famous for missing that PK. Roberto Baggio's miss in the ninety four World Cup final was close to thirty years ago. And I saw, I don't know, two hundred references to it when Harry Kane skied his. When you sky a penalty now, it you Baggio'd it. That is the legacy, unfortunately, the, the negative legacy that those kind of misses have. Baggio was, an was amaz- such a good player. Baggio was an amazing player. The yeah. divine ponytail. There's documentaries about him. He was a tremendous talent. He was the he was the player at that World Cup, was he not? He was the star because yeah. I, I like I remember Rick Riley writing the back page column at Sports Illustrated, and he was right. like, "What's this crazy sport coming to America in '94?" <laughs> and then it was like, "Ooh, what's all this? What's all this talk about this Baggio?" But that was that he was the star. He was the he was the poster boy for that tournament in a lot of ways because it was an introduction. 
And the crazy part is that, and no one really ever bothers to take the time to realize, he was a phenomenal Mm -hmm. penalty taker at, at club level. Like, he was so automatic and so routine. There was a reason he was in that spot, because that's where you put your best shooters. So, now, but, sorry, go ahead. Well, the England loss, how are you taking it? Because the 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 loss to Italy in the in the Euro final, mm-hmm. I remember coming in here on the Monday, or the, the next day, I don't I can't remember when it was. I guess it was on the weekend. Yeah. So he came in on the Monday, and I was like, you know what? I'm doing okay with that. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing all right with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. I don't know why either. You're a, you were really gutted. We were at the, the Hollywood Theater. This, you, were, you were very visibly gutted. This one hurt me. Yep. And do you know when you're like most of this? I mean, this is my brand, right? To lose big <laughs> games. I mean, this is this is this is my sports brand that I that my teams lose, right? Um, but this one was to the point where even like little chirps were not appreciated. Right. Like I couldn't. I had a, a bunch of texts from buddies or whatever that were kind of. Not making fun of me like harshly, but you know, just little comments here and there, and I didn't even respond to them. Like mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I don't, and I'm, I don't know, maybe Do I not think, want. I, I think it's the fact that for me, the World Cup is bigger than the Euros, and I, and I know that over in Europe, it's it's a little bit different, and some people consider you know the Euros on on par with the World Cup, but I have the same thoughts um, about. Will I ever see England win the World Cup yeah. before I yep. finish my time here uh, that I do about the Vancouver Canucks, right? And when you get so close, and they were very close because, look, Brazil's out. Oh, yeah. You know, the road was like, open. The road was so open. Sure. And, and I realized that even if they made it to the final against Argentina, they might not necessarily win that one, but... The road had opened, and they needed to get past France. And even though they were the underdogs heading into this game, it was only a slight underdog. Yeah. And there was that moment there, right? That moment, like I, I was pretty sure that Kane was going to score that goal. The second one. The second one. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, when he scored the first one, and maybe this is this is this. It was foolish of me to think because the second one is probably going to be harder, especially when it's against a teammate of yours in goal. It's yeah. going to, it's going to be hard and maybe you overthought it and he was in, in a terrible pressure situation and we've seen lots of PK misses, but I thought Harry Kane, the way he strikes the ball, mm-hmm. the confidence in which he scores goals, he was going to score that. And I thought that England had an advantage because they had a deeper bench and I thought they you know they they could have won that game. They easily could have won that game, and then they'd have Morocco in the semifinals, yep. and then they could get to a World Cup final in my lifetime and maybe win this thing. Yeah, I didn't. I never. I guess maybe I didn't have as much emotionally invested. And part of it was like my allegiances weren't even split. Like I was a hundred percent like Canada this World Cup. That to me was yeah, the focus, but that right? that was in the rear view for me. I actually felt kind of dirty like taking off the Canada hat and then putting on my <laughs> England jacket. Right, I'm like, oh, here we go. But um, interesting. Very, the, the match itself, I thought England played really well. They yeah. were very, very industrious. Saka was of, so good. They were great. They he was probably be, the best player like, on the pitch. Yeah, and you know, and the Sterling for Saka sub, we can get into that later. I don't really want to harp on that stuff yeah. too much because um, it just, when Kane, when they, when they were awarded the second penalty, I remember thinking that the vibes were off. I just remember thinking that, this it wasn't like a super dynamic build up where England was throwing all sorts of pressure. It was a ridiculous foul in a moment where I don't even know why the French defender felt the need to do it. It was just bizarre, to be honest. And then they were 
it, it's not like they were gifted the penalty because it was a foul, 100%. And yes, it deserves to be a penalty. And I think the ref was stunningly uh, brutal in missing that in real time. But when, he, when they stepped up, I remember thinking, like, if there's a moment for England to go full England, mm-hmm. it's Kane missing this penalty. <laughs> and he went it. He and went, he did he it. He went full right? England. Now, uh, there's been a lot of texts coming into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650 just talking about penalties in general. Mm-hmm. It's funny because, you know, I was looking for talking points going into the quarterfinals. I remember doing this on Thursday. And one of them was, I'm like, I'm going to keep an eye out for the penalty trend at this tournament because, you know... The spot kick has been such a central figure, and you think it is at all World Cups, but it's really not. But think about right now. Uh, what was lo- the largely defining moment for Canada at this World Cup? A lot of people will say mm-hmm. it was Alfonso Davies missing in the 10th minute in the opening match against Belgium. Messi famously had a penalty saved in the round. Harry Kane now, that's going to be his... Li- I mean, there's already articles in The Guardian and The Telegraph. You know, how is this going to alter the course of Harry Kane's career. And this, those are just so the penalties that happen within play. Those are just the ones within the run of play. Yeah. Like, we're not talking about the unbelievable job that Croatia has done in two penalty shootouts already. We're not talking about how dreadful Spain was, how dreadful Japan was. The I, the, the drama that came from the Argentina-Netherlands penalty shootout was incredible for those mm-hmm. that didn't see it. The guys were jawing back and forth at one another and keepers were getting up and gesticulating and being super demonstrative. Like it, it this tournament right now. We don't talk much about the Van Dyke Smith. Like he took that ball, he's like, I'm the captain. He led I'm off the score. Shootout, right? It was he led the shootout and it got saved. Um he, yeah. actually, he actually struck it okay. Martinez made a terrific, two terrific saves mm-hmm. in, in that shootout, but I was com- I was pretty sure he was going to score that one too, just yeah. because of how he played in that game, the type of character he is, which is terrifying, by the way. Yeah, he's a big, angry he's a big dude. dude. He's a big, angry dude. Um, and the fact that he just like I'm, I'm, I'm taking this on my shoulders. This That's... is I'm going to score the first one, and we're going to win this thing. And then they missed the first yeah. two, and and the difference, you know, between them, and then you look at. Brazil right now, and the aftermath for Brazil, everything that went on in that match aside, the big talking point was how is your best player at this tournament anyway, Neymar, not in the first four shooters? Why are you leaving him till the end? And the gaffer, who, by the way, is done now, Tite's out as Brazil's manager. I love all the guys, like, five minutes after the yeah. game's over. Like, he's done. done. Yeah, he's done. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's cut him loose. He's done. Uh, he said I was saving Neymar for the fifth and final most important shot, to which everyone said, you know, you need to get to that shot. Actually, so that you know, a lot of people are asking, is there more pressure in the modern game? What's the difference? Because these penalties have really taken central stage. If I can say one thing, it's that we saw this in Russia, and now we're seeing it again four years later. That the VAR effect when it comes to penalties really puts the spotlight and the microscope and really accentuates the moment because in almost every instance, mm-hmm. there's this super long delay. Oh. There's a very long delay in when it's called and then review and then awarded again. So you have this thing where it's like the fans react. And we saw it at the Hollywood Theater. There must have been about 700 people at the Hollywood Theater for mm-hmm. England House on Saturday. You react when you see the foul. And then there's a celebration when it's rewarded. But that celebration is kind of muted because you know that there's still a job to be done. Like you got awarded the penalty, but now you have to convert the penalty. It's almost a nervous energy at that point. And then for Kane on the second one, an awful lot of time to think about it because the moment that that foul happened on Mason Mount in the box, 
everyone on the pitch, everyone in the world, frankly, knew that there was one guy that was going to take that second penalty. There was mm-hmm. no other choice. There's a lot of people saying that Harry Kane shouldn't have taken that second penalty. There was no way but imagine that he wasn't if, going to. But imagine if they'd sent someone else up there and that player had missed. It, it, was, it was always going to be Kane taking mm-hmm. the penalty. That's end of conversation, end of question. Right? You, he's your ride-or-die penalty taker. Mm-hmm. You, there's no other choice. There's not. If Southgate had put somebody else up there and that person had missed, it would have been so much more profoundly <laughs> jarring and breaking for him, for the team. You know, can't, that, that's the, the beauty and the horror, honestly, of yeah. the penalty taker is that everything's on your shoulders. Like in hindsight, someone else should have taken it, but it was never going to They're never going to make that choice. Anyway, uh, let me put a bow on this real quick. It okay. is the soccer report. Brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. So that's it for World Cup stuff. We'll get it to Peter Galindo, who will join us at 7.30 to talk about this more. But we need to do the Seahawks now. Well, Mike Tanier is going to join us uh, in about 10 minutes to talk about the NFL story as a whole. Um, I'm sure Mike wasn't 100% focused on the Seahawks-Carolina game. Uh, so we might dive into other stories with him, including who Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. Getting a win over Tom Brady, that's a nice... Was that his first career win? That's a nice... It's the first, first career win First start. quarterback in NFL history to beat Tom Brady in his NFL debut, like a starter. As, a starter, starter. as, a, as starter. a starter. As a starter. Yeah, because Purdy obviously played last week. So here's the good news for my sports weekend. I wasn't actually able to watch the entire Seahawks game. That was the good news. I, I didn't have to actually sit there and watch another team run the ball down the throats of the Seahawks. Yeah. I had to go play hockey myself. We lost, by the way. Just in case you were wondering, Did you get the puck run down your throat. Uh, no, the puck doesn't really come to me much anymore, so that's not a big deal. I just kind of your whole stand, game is to stay away. Yeah, from I stand around and watch a lot. Just get a good view out the. Good ice. effort, boys. Good effort. Yeah, I'm more <laughs> more more of a cheerleader out there. Puck doesn't come to me much either, bro. I don't know. Anybody what it is. needs a water refill? Anybody <laughs> refill? The Seahawks, Focus. though. Um, I mean, I the, this game was. Their easiest of their remaining five, in theory, it was, it was embarrassing. It they got was, the ball jammed down their throat again. But it, but it happens over and over again with this team, and I think it just goes to show that for all the attention that we've given the Russell Wilson situation, the quarterbacking situation in Seattle over the last few years, and then obviously Geno Smith being a great story this year, the one overriding thing theme about the Seahawks is like their defense has absolutely stunk. I Since, can't believe like they, they, how bad their run yeah, defense is. Yeah, I, mean, I can because I see it play out on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's pathetic. But like they, it, it is really, it's 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 terrible. It's embarrassing. Um, it is the guys know it, right? Like they're, they're that's the worst part, right? Because you go into a game and you know that your opponent, you know that your opponent, especially opponents with Sam Darnold. A quarterback are going to be like, all right, I don't think the uh, real opportunity here is to unleash Sam Darnold. It is just to keep running the ball on these guys because mm-hmm. they can't stop it. They they, they, they can't. We, we, will get, um, we will get a push easily. Our offensive line will be able to handle this. Yep. We'll be able to open up holes, and we'll just be able to – we'll have – Big runs and medium sized runs and a couple little ones in there. A couple little ones in there and and we'll be fine. We'll control the clock and we will run the ball down the throats of this team. And some bad teams have beaten the Seahawks this year by just running the ball. So I want to play some audio here because you've talked about this in the past, how 
you know, it's like it's demoralizing. It's painful to lose, but especially when someone runs the ball at will and you just can't stop it. Right? It's it's demore it's demoralizing, quite frankly. Uh, Bruce Irvin, who's got an interesting role on this team because he kind of joined late. This is like his third stint with the Seahawks. He's been around for a while, but he hasn't been with this current roster all that long. He had some real pointed comments, not about you know. Uh, philosophy, style of play, scheming. It was just straight up the mono mono stuff. So I want to play the audio now. This is Seahawks linebacker Bruce Irvin talking about uh, how they just got physically dominated by Carolina on Sunday in that 30-24 to loss. It's just man-on-man. You beat your man, get off the block, make the tackle. That's what it comes down to, some mentality. I don't care about no play calls or no nothing. Like At the end of the day, it's man-on-man. You whoop your man in front of you and you make the tackle. You know, I got three kids at home, so I'm not going to let no other man put his hands on me. So that's just my mentality. Uh, you know, so until all 11 of us get that same mentality, it's going to be long. It's going to be long for us. I mean, that is a very telling quote, if, if only because he's essentially acknowledging that uh, a bad football team, Carolina's a bad football team. They might win that division, but that's because it's a horrible division. A bad football team with a recycled quarterback – and I think it was their third and fourth string running backs by the time they got down to Chuba Hubbard and Raheem Blackshear, just came in and punched the Seahawks in the mouth. Throw that on top of the fact that I think this is now two of the last three opponents have racked up 200 yards. Five straight opponents have run for at least 120. That is everybody in the NFL saying you can go and you can play these guys and all you have to do is beat them up at the line of scrimmage and manhandle them, and you're going to have success. And that is awful. If the Seahawks miss the playoffs and their playoff chances just took a huge hit, you're going to look to two things. One, their inability to stop the run. And two, the NFC South is the worst division in football by a long shot. And yet? The Seahawks have lost to every single team from the NFC South. They're 0-4 <laughs> against the division. It's the division that everyone else has been like just feasting on. Like You get a couple easy wins out of that division. Losses to Atlanta, Carolina, the New Orleans one where Taysom Hill ran for 9,000 yards. Tampa Bay in Germany, where Tampa Bay came in and couldn't run the ball. And Tampa Bay looked awful yesterday, by the way, in that loss to San Fran. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.